השם נעשה ונצליח, שיר תורה, ברוך השם, good to be in Miami, as usual, I made a mistake on the way here. Uh, no, if, if I don't make a mistake on the way here, then there's something wrong. It has to be some type of uh, wrong direction, but today was actually good. Today was a uh, small mistake. Today was only the last block. I made a right on the block before this instead of the second block. But usually I make a mistake on the highway. Usually it's a mistake on the highway, it costs me an extra 20 minutes. It's good. Um, no, if I'm paying the kapata, but not before this year, it's good news. Then the year itself is going to be free and clear. That's how it leaves. Leaves me alone. Beseda, Baruch Hashem, we, uh, we may have some interesting background noise today because it's 4th of July for the Goyim. Um, and Ashrechem, uh, that you hear learning Torah, Bnei Yisrael, Bnei Yisrael, I hear learning Torah, uh, when some of our brothers and sisters are confused. They're confused about their Judaism today. They think that they're supposed to be blowing fireworks. Uh, and you were saying before the uh, the camera went on, is that you know people cry to Hashem all the time about different problems they have. And I could ever since I can remember. I mean, uh, when we moved here to the United States almost 30 years ago, I was 10 years old. And 4th of July, when I was a kid, fascinated me. Always fascinated me, these fireworks. But I was never really into, with the exception of one year in my life when I was a kid. I never lit fireworks myself. I was, you know, we would see it for a few minutes and that's it, finished. Now one of the reasons why we didn't light fireworks ourselves is because we didn't have any money. And the money that we had, we weren't allowed to spend on shtuyot, on nonsense. We had to survive, we had to pay rent, we had to eat food, and so on. We didn't have any extra money to spend on, you know, small bombs. Uh, but the second reason, the bigger reason, the bigger reason why, was because this was just something that was not really welcomed in our house. It wasn't necessarily that my parents had a rule, hey, listen, no fireworks. It was just simply understood. It was simply understood, this is not for us. This is not for the Reuven family. Why? Because every year, the day after 4th of July, every year it's the same thing. For 30 years, it's the same exact thing. You hear, this one blew up his hand, this one blew up his face, this one blew up his this, this one blew up that one. Everyone is injured, everyone's in the hospital, everyone's life is, uh, is, is, is damaged permanently. Every, every year it's the same thing. Or in New York, you know, it's not like Florida. Florida, it's legal. In New York, it's illegal. So there was always a few, you know, uh, heroes that uh, would buy a bunch of fireworks from Virginia or from uh, Florida or different places, and they would sell them at a premium in New York. And of course... This, you know, if you're a small-timer, you only sell a couple thousand dollars worth, no one cares about you. But they care about the cops in, in, in New York. They don't care about the small guys. Who do they care about? They care about the supplier. Who's the big guy? Where's the mafia here? Always mafia was always involved in this stuff. And every year there was a bust. Every year there was a bust. This guy's going to jail for five years, for ten years, for five... For what? For selling fireworks. Like you just gave up five, ten years of your life for this nonsense? It's much people don't think. Now, of course, when you're living in a life without Torah, eh, what can we really expect? 
What could you really expect? What instruction set do you have of how to live? What instruction set do you have? Your, your rabbi is the uh, science professor that tells you that you came from a monkey. So if you act like a monkey, it's not, they don't frown upon it. Why? You're acting like your father. What's the problem? Your, uh, your hero is some guy that can run with a ball really fast. That's your hero. That's your gibul. Wow, he runs really fast. Therefore, he's my hero. He's my idol. Your hero is some woman that everyone is, uh, you know, drooling over because she's naked on a magazine. That's your hero. That's what you say. Oh, maybe one day, Be'ezat Hashem, I'll be like her. And the fathers and the mothers are like, yeah, Be'ezat Hashem, my daughter, I'm starting her modeling young. At five years old, she's already modeling with the lipstick. You're already putting, oh, here, this is Geinomia. My daughter, here, go over there. Honey, here's chapter 7 right here. Like, mama, it's, it's stupidity, but what can you expect? You don't have Torah. You don't have instructions of how to live. I feel bad for the Goyim. I feel bad for them. I feel bad for the Goyim that don't have instructions to live. But Abutai, we didn't really come here to talk about that. We came here to talk about the Jews. The, Jew, the Jews who think they're Goyim. The Jews who don't want to read the instruction says they do have. The Jews have an instruction set. But they don't want to read it. Instead, they want to be like the Goyim. Instead, like, they want to be like the rest of the nations. They want to go blow fireworks. We lived in Boca Raton. It baffled me that I thought this was the most religious community when I saw that the Bet Knesset, run by one of the head Dayanim in all of Florida, Ephraim Goldberg, hosts an annual, meaning it's not a one-time thing, an annual Super Bowl party event in the synagogue. Big screen TV with hot wings. They play football outside. And also they do it on, on Thanksgiving. If, not, if it's not enough once a year, they do it twice. And the football event, and the rabbi plays, and you know, in between seeing a bunch of you know, people run around trying to kill each other with the football, we're going to give you a little uh, shiur for five, ten minutes. It baffled my mind that this is actually happening to Am Yisrael. If the rabbi wants to play football, why would anybody want to learn Torah? If the rabbi is so excited about hot wings, why would anybody want to actually learn Musar, which is specifically the teachings of how to behave? Problem is that we're confused. We're confused. We want to celebrate... Fourth of July. We want to celebrate New Year's. We want to celebrate Valentine's Day. You tell them, yeah, Yom Kippur is coming up. Ah, Tisha B'Av is coming up. Ooh, ah. You have any better news? You guys are depressing me. Oh, you have uh, Shavuot. You have Pesach. Oh, what? It's the weekend. It's the two-day holiday. Do we have to keep the two days? Every year they say, do we have to keep the two days? We know what time it is. Do we have to keep the two days? If I go to Israel this year, if I go to Israel, can I just keep one day in Israel? 
It's the first, it's everybody asks this. Everyone, every single one of us here has asked this question. And the reason why is because we still are weak. We still don't understand the gift that Hashem gave us 3,300 years ago. We still don't see it as a gift. We still don't see it as a gift. We think it's a, it's a burden. The Goim know we have a gift, but the Jews don't. I saw a video today that the Iranians have had a drought, no rain, for some time. So they had an event, a government event, and they brought a Jewish girl, a little Jewish girl. Somehow they still let a few of them live in the country because there used to be a big keila in Iran. And they kicked them all out, but there was a few remaining families. They brought a little Jewish girl to come pray for them. And you see this little Jewish girl, she looks Muslim, but this is actually how the Jews used to look like before we started looking like Goim. And you see this little Jewish girl, no, no more than 15 years old, 14, 13, some young, young little girl, starts praying in a mix of Hebrew and, and, and Palestine, Persian. And all of the Goim that hate Israel saying, Amen. And they're, 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 this, is, this, is, this is what they're, they're hoping for this to work. Why? Because even the Goim know that Am Yisrael is the chosen people. They can hate us as much as they want, all types of anti-Semitic remarks, all types of anti-Semitic excuses, but in the end of the day, everyone knows, except us. Except us. We have always been our own biggest enemy. There was a recent article written about a conversation that Rav Kanievsky Sheikhyeh had with one of the members of the government. And during uh, one of the questions, the whole issue had to do with what should we do about the government forcing a draft on the religious people. The people that are studying in yeshivot and kolels since the founding of modern Israel, there's no such thing as taking them out of the yeshiva and putting them in the army. Even Moshe Rabbeinu had a thousand soldiers. For every thousand soldiers, he had a thousand avrechim. Why? Because what wins the war is the Torah, not the weapon. The Torah is the weapon, not your Uzi, not your uh, Iron Dome. Moshe Rabbeinu knew it. And even some of the people that were not exactly religious throughout the, histor- the history of Abishlet, even they knew it. Everyone goes to the rabbi when they have cancer. Even the atheists. As my dear friend Fidel always reminds me, when he goes and he volunteers at the hospice center, he says, everyone's religious. Everyone asks for a blessing. Why? They know they're about to meet the maker they've been denying their whole life. So now they're trying to force for years already. They've been trying to force the religious people to come out of the yeshivot and 
join the army so we can fight the terrorists. Unfortunately, some of the people fell. Some of the people have already joined the army. If this continues, the disasters for Eretz Yisrael and for the nation of Israel will only get worse. Because what we're doing is we are taking the weapon and we're putting it in a closet and going to war empty-handed. Thinking that the little piece of metal is going to win the war against a nation of two billion. The enemy is two billion worth. Two billion. There's two billion Arabs that want to kill us. It's not two million. It's two billion. Two billion of them want to kill us. At best, there's seven million Jews in Eretz Yisrael. At best. Even if you calculate all of the Jews, including the lefty liberals that actually hate Israel, you calculate all of them all around the world from the places we know and the places we don't know, and they all go fight the war. Everyone joins the army. It's 20 million at best. Which means that 2 billion, 20 million is 1%. It's not even a rounding error. In your tefillah, David Melech says, Thank you, Hashem, for not making us meat in their teeth. Why? Because David Melech already knew 3,000 years ago that if Hashem literally just simply allowed the leash that he has around the neck of Esav or Ishmael to be loosened just a little bit, not a lot of bit, not completely free, just a little bit, they don't even have to use weapons. All they need to do is walk there. Just have two billion Muslims just walk to Eretz Yisrael. That's it, no weapons. Not even not even rocks like they have been using for years. No rocks, no bottles, no kites, no weapons, no tanks, no nothing. Just walking there. Walking there and Hashem Yerachem, what kind of damage that could be. If Hashem just simply released the leash. But yet... The only weapon that's protecting us, we're trying to stop it. We're trying to put it in a closet because we think our weapons are advanced. Our airplanes are advanced. The stupidity of man will lead him to sin. And then he cries to Hashem that he gets punished. What do you want? You're stupid, so you made a sin against your creator. Now you complain that he's punishing you? What do you want him to give you a reward? So this conversation that was documented, Rav Kanievsky, Sheikh was asked, what should we do about the Palestinians? There's a draft, they're taking the boys to the army. He goes, the Philistines? No, they're already destroyed. They're gone. Meaning his mind is in the Torah. He's not in this world. He's thinking about the Philistines from 3,000 years ago. Because Achitofel tried to attack, but Hashem brought the angel and he destroyed him. So why are they worried about the Philistines? He goes, no, no, Kvod Arab, not the Philistines. The Arabs, the Arabs, they call themselves Palestinians. He goes, we, we, we have to fight them. He goes, no, go tell them, go tell the, the, the Jewish people they don't have to fight anybody. Just go, do what Hashem says, learn Torah, and nothing's going to happen. No one can touch you if you learn Torah. 
Why are you wasting fight? fighting? Who? Why are you fighting? This is Mamas, a person that actually lives in our generation. You can go see him. You can go see him. And it's a person, it's Mamash, it's a Sefer Torah that has eyes and ears and nose and mouth and legs and arms like you and I. But he's not like us. Why? He's inside the Torah. You're telling him, Palestinians, he's thinking about in the Torah. Oh yeah, the Philistines from 3,000 years ago, Achitofel tried to attack and destroy Jerusalem. That's what he's thinking about. Well, who's a Philistine? He's, in, he's, not, he's, not, he's not a fool, Chas Shalom. He's a genius. But he's just does not allow himself to endanger his eyes or his mind on the stupidity of man. Of what the man-made disasters that we create for ourselves. So when someone comes tomorrow to Hashem and says, Abba, why did you blow up my hand from the fireworks? Abba, why did you blow up my son's face from the fireworks? You know what Abba is going to tell you? You know what Hashem is going to tell you? I didn't blow it up. You did it. Who told you to go play with fireworks? I told you to go learn Torah. I told you to go learn Torah. I didn't tell you to go play with fireworks. That's the goyim. Let them do it. They want to go play with fireworks. Let them fight. They don't have to learn Torah. All they have to learn is just enough to get by. Seven laws of Noach and all of the Musa. Still a lot of learning. Still a lot of doing. It's not easy to be a righteous Noahite. Because the punishments are much more severe than for Jews. Everything is a death penalty in their case. Whereas for us, some things are and most things aren't. But still nonetheless... They have permission to do a lot of things we are not allowed to do. They want to go blow fireworks? Go! Enjoy! As a Jew, you have no right to do it. Why? That's Tarbut Goim. That is the behavior and the, the holidays and the customs and cultures of the Goim. You have no right, no permission from the Torah, from Hashem Barach to do anything like that. You have no right, no permission from the Torah to go celebrate a Super Bowl party. Now, how are you going to know this if your rabbi never told you? How are you going to know this if your rabbi is the one that's actually holding the Super Bowl party? In the Beknesset. How are you going to know this if the rabbi is the one that's actually hosting the fireworks show and took the budget of the Beknesset that people donate and took a portion of the budget, five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, whoever knows. Depends. Maybe they want to be like Macy's. They want to have a fireworks like Macy's. They took the budget of Ami said to go spend on little miniature bombs. Like we don't have enough going at us as it is for free from the Arabs. Do you understand why Hashem is upset? Do you understand why Moshe Rabbeinu in the book of Deuteronomy, Parashat Azinu, says, Am naval velo chacham. Despicable people, fools. Why? You're your brothers, you're your sisters. You guess, yes, they're brothers and sisters. They're fools, they're despicable. Why? When they leave Torah, they're despicable fools. Why? Yeah, you just left the instruction, you moron. How are you going to get there? What are you going to follow? The wind? How are you going to get to the right place? What are you going to follow? You have no map. You have no map. What are you going to do? A dear friend of mine, it's funny, one time we were on, a, on the road, and he was driving. And, not 
after a while, I realized, I don't think we're on the right road. And uh, we asked him, uh, where are you going? Well, are you sure you're on the right road? He goes, yeah, 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 I'm going. He goes, I look at the map, I look at the... No, you're 20 minutes off the road. He goes, oh, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, why'd you go this direction? He goes, oh, I thought the guy in front of me is going the same place. I thought the guy in front of me is going to say, he's driving, we're on the road, we're on a highway, and he just saw, he, somebody's driving in front of him, and just for some silliness, a moment of stut, a moment of silliness, it's like, I don't know, I just thought maybe he's going to the same place. He's been driving in front of us for 20 minutes, I figured maybe we're going to the same place. How are you going to get to the right destination, you fools? How are you going to get to the right destination? Are you going to follow the guy in front of you? Okay, go blow fireworks. So tomorrow morning, if anyone has any bad news, don't pray to Hashem. If you blow up your hands and fireworks, don't pray to Hashem. Why? It's your fault. You didn't do it. You did it. Pray today. Pray yesterday. Pray to Hashem that you never do it again. Pray to Hashem to do tshuva. Don't pray to Hashem and say, oh, Hashem, why'd you do this to me? He didn't do it to you. You did it. That's the same thing with all of our behavior. All of the things that happen to us that are terrible, usually it's because of our own actions. And that's what Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, tells to Am Yisrael. Because why are you so unhappy? What are you so upset about? You sinned. You're alive still. You sinned, so you're getting punished. What are you so upset about? What do you think was going to happen? Hashem is just going to let it go forever? Now, I look and I look and I haven't found in my opinion for whatever it's worth penny, two pennies I haven't found a bigger reason of why we are navigating without a map we're making mistakes in the direction constantly we are constantly inclined to be like the rest of the nations. We grow up wanting to be like them. We idolize them. I haven't found a bigger reason than the reason of the failed leadership that we have today. Leadership doesn't necessarily mean the head rabbis of the world. The leaderships are usually the middlemen. The leadership are the people that you see every day at shul. Are the people that you see online on a regular basis, the speakers. You don't see the Rishon Letzion of Yitzhak Yosef every day. Who sees him? Maybe you see him on the internet. You don't go see him. You can't blame him. You don't go see the head Ashkenazi rabbi. You don't see Rav Kanievsky. You don't see any. You don't see the Rav Mazuzev. You don't see them. I'm not talking about them. Chas v'shalom. Talk about your personal rabbis, your keilot, your Torah anytimes, your uh, you know uh, Shabbat.com rabbis, your uh, you know your local the people the, the people that you see in your communities, the people that you see online. I can't blame anyone more than them. In my opinion. Not chas v'shalom that I want to bring a kitrug on them, but I, I think that they need, to, they need to listen to this once and for all. 
Because the sheep follow the leader. The sheep follow the leader. If the leader wants to go play football, so will the sheep. If the leader wants to go and have fireworks, so will the sheep. If the leader talks about money, so will the sheep. If the leader talks in Bet Knesset during Tefillah, so will the sheep. Not chas v'shalom to call Am Yisrael sheep simply to, to insult them, but meaning there's a leader and then there's the followers. Even though we're all princes, we're all sons and daughters of the King of Kings, still Hashem Barach gave us leaders. In every generation, from the beginning of time until the end of time, you may be your own leader for your own ma'asim, for your own actions, for your own family. But you have to have a leader. Everyone has to have a leader. That's why we have several Mishnayot that talk about the importance of making yourself a rabbi. A person who does not have a rabbi, the Gemara says Hashem hates him. Why does Hashem hate such a person who doesn't have a rabbi? It's because a person doesn't have a rabbi. If he doesn't have a rabbi for a month, for two months, for six months, for a year, because let's say his rabbi died and he hasn't found a replacement, that's a different story. I'm talking about he's just decided, nah, no one's good enough to be my rabbi. I know more than them. I don't need them. If I want to find something out, I'll just open the book. He's decided or she's decided to be our own rabbi. She will listen and talk to herself constantly. You should know, the Gemara says, you, you, you person, you Jew that keeps Shabbat, Filin, Tarat Mishpacha, all the things. You, you keep everything. Hashem hates you. The source is Gemara Masechet Yevamot, page 109, bit. And the source from the Torah is Proverbs eleven fifteen. Why? Because a person who does not have a rabbi is never going to tell himself he's wrong. A person who doesn't have a rabbi doesn't know if he's wrong. He doesn't know if he's arrived at the right conclusion or not. He's decided. This is what it says. That's what it means then. He never thinks for a second, maybe he's wrong. Maybe he misunderstood. He has too much pride to check himself. He's too much pride to get advice from someone else. And fortunately, it gets to a point where he can live his entire life violating Shabbat without knowing it. But not without knowing it because he didn't study it. Without knowing it because he was never willing to ask if he's right or wrong. And the, the Mishnah in Avot says, Talmud zadon. If your accidental sin is because of lack of study or misstudy, it's considered as an intentional sin. Now the problem today is that sometimes you will go to a rabbi, but the rabbi has more of a kid behavior than the uh, student. The rabbi is more interested in being a goy than the student is. So now you have a generation of orphans and leaders that are not really sure they want to be leaders. They just want the money that comes with it. They want the kavod that comes with it. If the leadership was actually doing its job, we'd actually want to be Jews. We'd actually want to celebrate Yom Kippur. 
we'd actually want to celebrate all of the holidays. We'd actually look forward for Shabbat already on Motzei Shabbat. On Motzei Shabbat, you're already preparing for Shabbat. But when you have, like we spoke about last night, entire Torah organizations reconstructing itself to fit the ideologies of the public. And now instead of teaching people Torah, they're teaching them coaching. They're sending emails. We're starting a course for coaching. How to become a coach. How to become a guru. How to meditate. What about how to be a Jew? What about all that stuff? Oh no, they, you know, the people want something else. Okay, so tell them they shouldn't want something else. There's a problem. There's a problem with if they want something else. One time, Rabbi Gabsu Shamaim, he lived his days. He waits in the Beddin of Shamaim. He's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. He sees people pass, people pass, people pass. They go, they get judged, da, da, da. He's waiting his time, but he's been waiting already for a couple of days. He thought, listen, I learned Torah my whole life. I gave Shuim. They should give me VIP treatment. I should be going to Gan Eden right now. But he's waiting. What is he going to do? Who is he going to complain to? All of a sudden, he sees this guy come into the court. Now, it doesn't really look too, uh, too special. His pants are kind of ripped. He has jeans on. He's got a t-shirt on. He's got a, you know, small little beard. Doesn't look like he's exactly Rabbi Akiva. But they say, oh, sir, come over here. Kvod come. Kvod come. Passes the whole line. They go straight to the Bedin. Oh, Gan Eden, dude. He couldn't take it. Rabbi couldn't take it. Hey, hey, guys, guys, there's a mistake here. I've been waiting for two and a half days just to get my turn. I've been teaching. I've been this. I've been that. This guy just comes. Who is he? He gets VIP, goes to Gan Eden. He goes, sir, Kvod you have to understand. When you gave Shuret Torah, everybody fell asleep. But him, he's a bus driver. When he drove the bus, everyone did tshuva. <laughs> when he drove the bus, it was so scary, everyone did tshuva. So some people, they have, they have Yirat Shemaim, they're good people. But they don't know how, they don't know how to speak, they don't know how to communicate with the public. So for those pure souls, this is not against them, Chas Shalom. For those pure souls, you have to go get somebody that's going to speak. You have to go get somebody that's going to talk to you, Keila. Why? Because one way or another, it's your responsibility. If you decided to become the rabbi, you were given a position from Shemaim. To be the leader, you have to use that talent. Whether that talent's going to come out of your mouth, or out of your pocket, or out of something else, you have to get your kila to do tshuva. The pasuk in Proverbs... The beginning of Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 9. It says, Kabedet Adonai Meonecha. It says, Honor Hashem with your wealth. 
How should you honor Hashem? With your wealth. What wealth? You have money. Hashem gave you money, right? So go. How do you honor Hashem? Oh, I prayed to Him. Okay, thank you for the prayer. But it doesn't say honor Hashem with your prayers. I honor Hashem. I pray all the time. I pray. I do it, but I do it. Okay, good for you. You do it, but I do it. But Hashem over here says, Shlomo Amela says, you want to honor Hashem? Honor Hashem with your money. Why? Get on me to do tshuva with that money that he gave you. You don't need all of it. You don't need all of it. You have your rent. You have your mortgage. You have your basic car. You have your food. You have your kids. Yeshiva. There's extra over there. Okay, there you go. Honor Hashem that way. How? Do mitzvah with that money. Go get on me to do tshuva and so on and so forth. But... The sages also say that there are certain rules. There are certain rules to the Sfata Kodesh, to the holy language, where there are certain let- letters within the holy language that are replaceable in order to get the hidden message within the word. I learned this from Rabbi Ephraim today, actually. It's beautiful. It says, the sages explain here, it says, Kabed et Adonai mechonecha. Mechonecha is different me mehonecha. They replace the hay with a chet. And anyone that knows the, the Hebrew language, the hay and the chet look alike. There's only like a little microscopic tiny line separating the two. The hay has like one, like a uh, L, upside down L, and then a little tiny dot under it. The chet has just a completion. It connects the uh, upside down L to the dot. So now it becomes like an upside-down C, if you will. So what does Mechonecha mean? Mechonecha means honor Hashem with your wealth. But the Chachamim says not everybody has wealth. Some people are barely making it month to month. Some people have to borrow money just to finish the month. Some people have to beg for change. Shem all types of struggling and suffering people have. Baruch Hashem, almost every poor person in the world is my fan. But the key is the Rabotai, the Savior says some people don't have money. So how do we honor Hashem? Why? If we don't have any money, we can't honor Hashem? No. Honor Hashem, Mechonecha. What's Mechonecha? Your talents. He gave you something. He gifted you something. Hashem gave you something. If He gave you the ability to speak, honor Him with the ability to speak. He gave you the ability to, to, to organize things, honor Him by organizing Torah events. He gave you some type of talent, some type of ability. He gave you something, use that something to honor Him. Because that's the real reason of why He gave it to you. He didn't just give it to you to make money. He didn't just give it to you just for you to have a nice hobby. He gave you this talent. He gave you something in order for you to honor His name. And the reason why is because a person that does not find a way to honor and sanctify the name of Hashem, the Gemara in Masechet Chagigal says it was better off He was never created. Each and every single one of you has definitely more than one talent, more than one gift. Each one of us, Baruch Hashem, is rich in gifts. Every Bat Israel, every Ben Israel, 
Every person on earth has some gift, something, some more than others, some one, some a thousand. Find a way to use it to sanctify Hashem's name. Now if you're a rabbi, that's a gift that Hashem gave you. Use that gift to get Amisa to do tshuva. If you're a speaker, use that gift to get Amisa to do tshuva. If you're a learner, use that gift to get Amisa to do tshuva. The point is, the ideal way of honoring Hashem is by getting His children to come back home. But now, this type of attitude is not usually very welcomed in some places because everyone wants to coast. They think that they're okay. They think that they're okay. There's no problems. Everything's okay. You're just creating machloket. You're just creating a debate. It's not nice what you're doing. And many places, even if I beg them to let me speak to their keilah, they wouldn't let me in. In fact, there are some places that will take, I give some of their members of their keilot, are my, my students, they like my shurim, they did tshuva. So what does a good student do? good student wants to share. He takes the CDs. Sometimes they buy it, most of the times I give it to them for free. Go, get on me, so I'll do tshuva. No one does tshuva when the CDs are sitting in a uh, warehouse. The only people do tshuva when people are listening to them. See, here's 50, here's 100, here's 200, here's 500 CDs. Go, give it out. So, what's the first place they're going to go to? They're going to bring it to their shul. The shul that they, they now started going to since they did tshuva. What do you see? Oh, there's a gatekeeper. A.K.A. rabbi. What? Oh, no, no. We, 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 don't, we don't teach Musar in our keilah. What do you mean? Musar, the Gemara calls Musar is Torah. It's synonymous. Musar means Torah. Shlomo HaMelech says, if you hate Musar, you're going to die. What does it mean you're going to die? Shem going to kill you? No, no, you have no lava, you hate Musar. You're not going to do tshuva. What do you mean you don't teach Musar? What do you want to teach? Babugam? Want to teach him how to blow fireworks? Want to teach him the rules of baseball and football? What do you teach then if you don't teach Musar? What do you teach? Parashat Shavua. Okay, Parashat Shavua has Musar in it. We also teach Parashat Shavua. No, no, uh, we're not sure we like that shita. Well, what's the shita? We don't like that strategy. What's, what's the strategy? What's wrong with the strategy? Ah, you know, he's, he's hard. Well, what did he say that's not true? No, no, it's true. It's just that it's hard. Well, is, it, is it against the Torah? Did Moshe Rabbeinu not say it? Where did he get it from? Did he get it from his own thoughts? Or, or he's quoting Moshe Rabbeinu. He's quoting Hashem. He's quoting the sages. Who, is he, who said this stuff? But that's the thing, sometimes Rabotai, the rabbis have turned the gift that Hashem gave them into a job that they're trying to protect, a career. I remember in the old days, I think it was Ronald Reagan, who said that the downfall of the government and the political system began when people turned politics into a career. He said when he was young, people used politics, a political position, as a stepping stone, something you do 
before you get a real job. So you're going to go spend two, three years in politics, get some contacts, learn how to do a few things, and then go get a real job. Be a lawyer, be a doctor, be a something. Do something real. Not just do nothing and get paid for it. He says that was the downfall. People turn politics into a lifelong career. They go, their ideal job is to be a politician. Someone told me once that the actual root of the word politician also comes from mosquito. Makes sense. Now this is the goyim though. What about Am Yisrael? The same mistake is being made. We have followed the goyim so much that now many of the rabbis have also become politicians. Instead of leading the people to tshuva, we're leading them to football parties. We're leading them to trips to Israel. We're leading them to the beach. Last night, one of the people that comes to the shul once in a while broke my heart without knowing. I asked him, how come you didn't come to the shul? So I actually went to a different shul. I went to this other place. I said, oh, okay, so did you get some chizuk there? You got, you got strong? There's no, there's no monopoly on shulim. But Hashem, if you go to shul, you get a better treatment over there. You get more chizuk over there. Go! It's not, no, it's no, no problem. No skin off my back. Good, good for you. you let all of said go to this other shul. No, he says, not so much. He said, actually, I, after I left there, I went to the strip club. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I wanted to die. Momentarily, I wanted to die. Then I realized I have a family and I have many other students, so I didn't want to die anymore. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I get this message. I wanted to just, this, this, this is what happened to Am Yisrael. A guy goes to a shield Torah and then he goes to a trip club. What kind of shield did you go to? What kind of shield did you go to? How did you not get the fire of heaven to, 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 to stop you from doing such a stupid thing? How? How does such a thing happen? How? If, I mean, it, 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 it baffles my mind. And then I hear, oh yeah, you know, they had some drinks, they had some girls at the shoe. They had some drinks, they had some girls. You know, it's not really a shoe. It's like we socialize. We socialize with Jewish people. Oh, so it's a bar for Jewish people, but you call it a shoe. Because the rabbi is there, drinking with everyone. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we have to do a new shiur by Geinom and, and actually create a level 8 for some of these rabbis. I don't know what to tell you guys. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What do you do? What do you do? How do you save people? How do you save people when actually after they do tshuva, they go to a rabbi that ruins the whole thing again? So we don't want to be bali machloket. We don't want to cause debates. We don't want to cause conflicts. But this is what Torah is talking about. When someone is helping people become less religious, what are you going to do? Sit there and be quiet? So the Mishnah here in Avot says, "Kol machloket shei l'shem shamayim sofalit kayem, v'shena l'shem shamayim en sofalit kayem." Ezoi machloket shei l'shem shamayim. 
זו מחלוקת הלל ושמיים. ושינה לשם שמיים זו מחלוקת קורח וכל עדתו. משנה הירן אבות, that we started the first half last night, says any מחלוקת, any dispute that is for the sake of heaven will have a constructive outcome. Meaning it will last, it will, it will endure. In the end it will endure. But one, but a dispute that does not have, that is not being done for the sake of heaven will not have a constructive outcome. Meaning it will die out eventually. What sort of disputes are for the sake of heaven? What kind of example do we have? He says the dispute between Hillel, between Hillel and Shammai. And what type of dispute is not for the sake of heaven? He says the dispute between Korach and his entire company. So last night we read a little bit and we understood what kind of dispute is for the sake of heaven. Today we're going to go over some of the things that are not for the sake of heaven. Continue the Mishnah, Bezat Hashem, complete it. The ultimate purpose of a Jew is to eliminate the Yetzirah and the mentality that is instilled in each and every single one of us which is, enjoy the day. Enjoy while you lasts. The short-term mentality. The short-term mentality that is written about it in the book of Isaiah, chapter 22, verse 13 and 14. Eat and drink, for tomorrow we must die. This is like the you only live once type of destructive mentality. This type of mentality is the poison of all poisons that has made many religious and irreligious people fall prey to the Yetzirah without even knowing it. Because they figured, ah, I'm only going to go to the club once. What's the big deal? Ah, I'm all going to... Turn on the phone once on Shabbat. What's the big deal? I'm only going to go to this website once. What's the big deal? I'm only going to wear the, the, the skirt that's just only three inches. Three inches too short, not six inches too short. So what's the big deal? Hashem is really counting inches. He has the whole world to run. He really is counting inches. This is a mentality, this is a destructive mentality destructive mentality to think that Hashem is not counting inches. To think that Hashem doesn't care about whether you wash your hands or not. To think that Hashem is not going to actually review and either reward you or punish you for every single second, second that you lived in this world. Second. We're not talking about action. Action could be a year. An action could be an hour. An action could be a, a minute. I'm talking about a second. Every second you live, you'll have to pay a deen. You'll either be rewarded for it or punished. So if he's looking at every single second in your life and he's designated an angel according to the Gaon Vilna, 
He's designated an angel to review every second of your life. Every one of you has an angel that's reviewing every second of your life. And that second could be good, could be a diamond, or Shem could be hot lava. He has this angel designated for you. He created an angel specifically for you. You're going to say, oh no, maybe he doesn't care. No, maybe I could just wear this skirt. Maybe I could just wear this tank top. Maybe I could just only cover my hair inside the house but not outside the house. You're playing with fire. Why are you playing with fire? It's a destructive mentality. Yeah, but everybody else at the wedding is uh, not covering their hair. They're all wearing wigs. Why can't I wear a wig? They're all this. Why can't I do this? Playing with fire. So the debates about how to be glued to Hashem, to the ultimate way, has been debated for since the beginning of time. But Parashat Pinchas, Parashat Pinchas gives us an idea of what's expected of each and every single one of us. No one should ever think that Parashat Pinchas is only about Pinchas. No one should ever think that Parashat Pinchas is only expected of someone that's a Kohen. No one should think that Parashat Pinchas is just something that just some people do. If it's written in the Torah, that means Hashem expects you to be it. Or else it's not relevant. And the Torah is from God, it has to be relevant. Parashat Pinchas, this week's parasha, continues the awful event that began the week before, in Parashat Balak, where Bil'am gave the advice to Balak to tell him, listen, go send your girls with short skirts. The Ba'alea Musar says, how do we know that's what they did? He says, that's the Rashi Tevot of Bilam. Banot lechu imini. Girls, go with mini skirts. If you use every one of the letters of his name, Banot, Bet. Lamed, Lechu, go. Aim, that's Ain, it's the third letter. Mini, it's the last letter. Girls, go with mini skirts. If you weren't convinced yet, Chachamim say also Balak was the same thing. He agreed. How do we know Balak agreed? Because Balak's name, what is it? Banot lechu katsar. Girls, go with shorts. And that's what we saw at the end of Parashat Balak, and that's exactly what happened. He says the curses from Bilam didn't work. They were blessings. Am Yisrael got blessed by the evil prophet. In addition to that, we also got a prophecy of what's going to happen at the end of times. And even Bilam al-Rashai himself says, Oi mi mi sumoel. Oi, who will survive when he imposes this this Gogu Magog. Who's going to survive this Gogu Magog? Who's going to survive? 
the war that already began about a year ago. After that, we hear what happens of how Am Yisrael starts to commit harlotry. Vayishev Yisrael bashitim vayachel ha'am liznot et el bnot Moab. Israel settled in Shittim and the people began to commit harlotry with the daughters of Moab. How? Why? Don't they have Jewish girls? Don't they have Jewish girls? Why, why do they go with the, with, with the girls with the goyim? You just came back from Mount Sinai. Why? Because the goyim came with mini skirts. While B'not Israel were holy, they covered themselves, they didn't take any risks, they wore the long dress that reached the ankles, they wore the long sleeves, they didn't just cover barely the elbow. You know, some people say, what do I have to do? I said, you have to cover the bottom of your knee after you sit down without pulling at least six inches. Some say four, but at least six. Oh, okay, so, my, so, so this is good? No, no. I'm saying that's the least you're supposed to do. A lover of Hashem doesn't play with the minimum. A lover of Hashem goes to, how do I stay away from the minimum? I want to do more. That's where we have a fence around the fence. Yeah, but the Rabbanit... Where is a pencil skirt? Okay, there's a place in Gainom for that too. What's, what's, the, what's the problem? If your Rabbanit and your shul is wearing a pencil skirt, Gainom has nice reserved place. Thanks for how good for You want to go there? You want to go where she goes? No, no, I want to go to Ganeden. Oh, so you can't wear a pencil skirt. You cannot wear a pencil skirt. You cannot wear a short skirt. You're not going to play with fire. Oh, what about sleeves? Can I just wear just to barely cover, barely, barely cover the elbow? Yes, you can, technically. Halachically, yes, you're asking, as a woman, you're supposed to cover your elbows. No problem. But, if you're already covering the elbow, why don't you cover the, a little bit more? Why take the risk that maybe you're going to move, or this, or something happens, and for a second, for a second, you have now become, you have now become Rabbi. For a second, you caused some little boy... 13, 14, 50 year old little boy looked at your elbow and got turned on. Yeah, but I didn't make him get turned on. Why is it my fault? Why would you even take the risk? Your fault, not fault. Why would you take the risk? Why? You love Hashem or you hate Him? Oh, I love Hashem. Okay, so why are you playing with fire? Why take the risk? The halacha is not something, oh no, I'm just gonna, what do I have to do? I can't play with my phone on Shabbat? Okay, so I won't play with my phone, but I can, I can leave it, I can leave the TV on in the background, right? I just can't change the channel. Why are you playing with fire? Why do you have a TV in your house anyway? But even if, let's say you have, you're not at the level that you still have to have a TV in your house, or let's say you use the TV as a computer screen. Fine, okay. But, why are you playing with fire? So the halacha is not something, oh no, this is, I'm looking for the minimum in everything. Each person needs to identify their own yetzerah and build his own or her own fence around it. If she knows that she likes attention, she has to avoid attention under all costs. If she knows she enjoys when people give her attention and she tends to get attention, she should avoid it under all costs. They invite you to a wedding. I'm sorry, I'm sick. Why? Because she knows that if she goes to the wedding, everyone's going to give her attention. Whether she's pretty or she's rich or she's smart or she's popular, it doesn't make a difference why. 
if she knows that everyone is going to gather and uh, surround her, like let's say Moshe Rabbeinu giving matan Torah, she has to avoid the attention. Why? Because she doesn't want to take the risk. That's about Israel. That's about Israel. You're not going to take these risks because these risks are silly. They're stupid. Am Israel, we're told to put a fence around the fence, but in Parashat Balak, the fence broke. Why? Because it came from the outside. It wasn't Benot Israel that made the sin. It was the Goim. The Goim came with their mini skirts, and unfortunately, Am Yisrael sinned with them. Hashem was ready to destroy all of Am Yisrael. Arav Pinkus Alaba Shalom writes in his book, this is the only time in the entire Tanakh that Hashem punished us without even warning. And we actually learn in the beginning of Parashat Pinchas that Hashem says to Moshe, Belochiliti et bnei Israel bekinati, that I did not consume bnei Israel in my jealousy, in my anger of what you did. What does it mean? I did not consume them. The sages explain Hashem was planning on destroying everyone. No different than the generation of Noah. For what? For mini skirts? Yes, for mini skirts. For what? For short sleeves? Yes, for short sleeves. For being uh, dating a Goya? Yes, for dating a Goya. Yes, yes. What's the big deal? Apparently it's a big deal. You have a complaint? Go to Hashem. Go to Hashem. You have a complaint? Go to Hashem. What do you want for my life? This is what it says in Pasha. It's not even commentary. It's what it says. And Pinchas is the reason we're here. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Cohen saw this and took action. Was zealous and killed Zimri and Cosby. says that the details of the event made some Chachamim ask some questions. Because the Midrash says that Pinchas was there, Moshe, Aaron, the elders were there, everybody was there. Suddenly Zimri the head rabbi of the Shimon tribe wasn't just some idiot. It was the head rabbi, the leader of the Shimon tribe shows up with a non-Jewish girl. He goes to Moshe, he goes, yeah, you married a Goya, so, uh, so, and then you converted her, right? So I'll convert her later. Let me just test out the, the let me just test out the goods for now. That kind of attitude, this type of attitude, broke Moshe's heart, put him into a shock, and he started a hysterical cry. He didn't have an answer. He didn't know what to say to him. First of all, first of all, when Moshe Rabbeinu met Zipporah, we didn't get the Torah yet. Second of all, everyone converted to Mount Sinai. 
And the rules changed once we got to Mount Sinai because the Torah was give, given. Everyone knew this. But here Zimri shows up with a girl from the uh, other nation. No, no, I'll convert her later. I'll convert her later. You did it too, didn't you, Moshe? Didn't you marry a convert? Didn't you marry a convert? They're good, right? They're nice people. You get some Spanish cooking, right? You get some, you know, Jews don't know how to make Spanish cooking. Yeah, You get some Spanish cooking. Or you get a Filipino cooking. You get a Chinese cooking. Yeah, it's good, right? Like You marry her for the cooking. You don't marry her because of her. Oh. What if she doesn't know how to cook? So now, Moshe Rabbeinu, his heart breaks. He starts hysterical crying. Aaron Cohen, his heart breaks. He starts crying. The 70 biggest rabbis in Am Yisrael sitting over there in shock. Why? Because it's one of them. It's, one, it's a big rabbi. It's not some guy. There's nothing they can... They don't know what to say. They start crying. Everyone's crying. And he starts to walk away with his new girlfriend. And then... Binchas comes and says, Kvodara, eh? Moshe, Moshe, didn't you teach us at Mount Sinai not too long ago that there's a rule in the Torah that if a Jew is actually intimate with a non-Jew at that time, you actually, if you're zealous, you're supposed to kill them? Moshe Rabbeinu says, yes, you're right. You said the halacha, go do it. So the, so the Gemara says, wait a minute, there's also another rule in the Torah. There's another rule in the Torah that we learn in Gemara Maseret Brachot. What's the rule we learn in Gemara Maseret Brachot? We learn from Shmuel. Shmuel and Avi. Shmuel and Avi nearly got the death penalty. Why? He said an alacha, he stated an alacha in front of his rabbi. You're not allowed to state an alacha in front of your rabbi. If someone asks a question, Hey, uh, am I allowed to drive on Shabbat and your rabbi is there? You're not allowed to answer, yeah, you're allowed, you're, you're allowed, you're not allowed. No, you're not, not allowed. If you're, even if you're right. Am I allowed to uh, marry this? Am I allowed to eat this? You're not allowed to answer if your rabbi is there. Why? Torah says, it's bizayon bat Torah. It's disrespect for the Torah. You're disrespecting your rabbi. It's as if you're saying, he doesn't know the answer. But I know. And you answer in front of him, Torah says it's a death penalty. So, so the Torah asks, the Chachamim asks, in Maram Maseret Sanhedrin, I believe it's 82a, it says, how could it be that Pinchas ben Elazar, ben Aaron Akoin, this is the giant, is stating an alacha and violating the Torah by stating an alacha in front of his rabbi, Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu agrees with him. Because there's another alacha. There's another rule in the Torah that is critical for every single generation. The Gemara in Maseret Sandrin states it clearly. And every single rabbi in the world should know this and probably does know this. This is not a chidush. The Gemara says, In a place that there is dishonor of Hashem, there is no consideration whatsoever to the honor of the rabbi. There was chilul Hashem there, when Zimri was going out with the Goya in front of everyone and so on, that's Chilul Hashem. 
There's no time to consider the honor of Moshe Rabbeinu or Aaron or anyone in the world. Why? Hashem's name's first. Hashem's name's first. So when it comes to the debates, a person needs to understand that just because somebody is saying something against your rabbi, you have to evaluate. Is he doing it because he doesn't like your rabbi personally? Or is it because there's Chilul Hashem? If he doesn't like your rabbi personally because he thinks he's too tall or he's too short or he's too ugly or he's too white or he's too black or he's too this or he's too that. Yes, a personal issue against him. Then, that is a machloket. That's not the Shem Shemayin. You're not allowed to listen to him. But if he has nothing to say about your rabbi personally, cares less about him, but rather about what he does. That he's teaching people that football parties are something we should do. That Halloween parties are also fun. That Christmas parties, if you want to attend, because maybe it's going to help you get a promotion, you has an tail for that. There's a leniency for that. or some nonsense that people create in their mind. If your rabbi is facilitating the Chilul Hashem, the desecration of Hashem, there is no consideration for your rabbi's honor. He's no longer considered a rabbi at that moment. Why? He's a mechalel shem shamayim. He has turned to the oyev. He's turned to the enemy. Call him rabbi. Call him whatever you want. According to the Torah, he's nothing. And debating him and, de- and, and, and insulting him even is a mitzvah. People don't like this. Why? It's not nice. Torah is not looking to be nice. Torah is here to give you instructions of how to sanctify Hashem's name. If your rabbi is helping you sanctify Hashem's name, good. He's a tzaddik. If he's doing the opposite, he's a rasha. And that's something that each and every single one of us needs to understand clearly. When we decide go to Bet Knesset, when we decide to listen to Shu, attend the Shu, ask an Alakha, the Gemara in Masechet Moed Katan says that if your Rabbi does not have good Midot, you're not allowed to listen to him. What about if what he says is right? Irrelevant. What about if he's just simply reading and he's just telling us what he thinks about what he just read? Not allowed. Not allowed to listen to him. Why? Once he has midot mushchatot, once he has terrible midot, that means that he doesn't believe his own teachings. He doesn't believe his own teachings, you're not allowed to listen to it. You're only allowed to listen to somebody that actually believes what he says. He may not be able to do everything he says, because we're not all tzaddikim, but at least he believes that he's not a heretic. So, a person needs to understand that there are sometimes a necessity for disputes. There's a necessity for disputes. Rav Shach, Allah Shalom, used to tell everyone, each time you finish, you complete a daf gemara, 
You should celebrate. One page. One Dav Gemara, you should celebrate. Why? You've actually achieved something in your life. Your life was worth, was worth, it was worth it for Hashem to create the world. You completed one Dav Gemara. People think you're only supposed to uh, celebrate once you finish the Shas. He says, no. You finish one Dav, you should celebrate. We don't customarily celebrate after one Dav. Usually we celebrate after one Masechet. Why? Because there's not enough time in a day to have a birthday party every day. Because you completed a daf. But the Rav Shach was saying, if you really understood the magnitude of completing one daf, you'd actually have a wedding every day. Wedding party every day. Big call, everything. What? I finished one daf. You've achieved something in your life. The very same Rav Shach that loved the Torah, loved the Shemit Barach, also had a very, very famous dispute with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. To such an extent that when he died, Many Chabadniks celebrated. Celebrated his death. The amount of death threats and all types of disgusting letters that he got throughout his life filled up sacks. Sacks of letters. One of his Talmidim saw all these letters, these sacks of letters. He says, He opened the letters. He said, letters. He says, These people are cursing you out. They're telling you they're going to kill you if you keep talking against their Rebbe. Why, why do you keep these? He goes, no. I want you to bury me with them. Why, Kvodaran? Bury you with these letters that are cursing you? Bury you with letters from fellow Jews that you have a debate with their Rebbe and, 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 they're, and they're, they're taking it personally and they're taking it to an extent that it's not and so on? Why, why, Kvodaran? He says, because when I go up to Shemayim, I don't have many schuyot, he says. What do I have? All my Torah, everybody gave me credit for it already. I have nothing to show for it. All I have these letters. Why? I'm going to go up to Shemayim and tell him, listen, at least you know I wasn't afraid of anyone but Hashem. At least you know from these letters, I never stopped saying the truth. Because I wasn't afraid of anyone but Hashem. And as long as Hashem said I had to say it, that's all that mattered. So the fact that I had a public debate with the Lubavitcher Rebbe and it wasn't very popular and it wasn't very nice and it was very, very heated and it created a lot of problems, didn't make a difference. Why? It was the right thing to do at the time. We don't decide and we don't put our opinion of who's right and who's wrong. Who are we to have an opinion between two giant Chachamim? Anyone that wants to throw in their token and, and put their opinion, no, I think he's right, I think he's right, simply, simply is a fool who doesn't know his own foolishness. He should be quiet, so at least his foolishness is not disclosed to the world. You look much smarter when you don't talk. But the point is that sometimes these debates, these disputes are necessary. Why? For Kvod Hashem. For Kvod Hashem Barach, for the honor of Hashem, and this is something that people need to simply understand. It's part of the Torah. Rav Tzion Bracha Alav Shalom was one of the zealous among us in the previous generation. At the end of his life, 
on Shabbat, they called the hospital, they called the ambulance to take him out of the take him out of the house in emergency. He was already very old, and everyone knew that it's either now or soon. Put him in the hospital. They put Shabbat on hold in order to save his life. Even if it's saving a Jewish life for an extra moment, one minute, you're still obligated to violate Shabbat. For one more minute. Meaning you know that if you violate Shabbat, you're going to get him another minute of life. One minute. You're still obligated to mitzvah to violate Shabbat for him. They put him in the hospital, but he's conscious. And on Shabbat, they say, he got up, he opened the window of the truck, he started screaming at the people on the road, Shabbat, Shabbat, why are you driving on Shabbat? So the people in the car, you know, in Israel, they don't uh, hold themselves, they don't hold their speed. They said, yeah, what about you? He says, I'm pikuach nefesh, I'm about to die. You are killing yourself. Meaning in his last moments in the world, he's still worried about Am Yisrael desecrating the name of Hashem Yitbarach. How? Driving on Shabbat. Last moments. He's not, he's not, he's not 25. What benefit does he have? I mean, he's going to the hospital. Shouldn't you think about, oh, maybe I shouldn't worry. Uh, I should say hello. I should say goodbye. I should, oh, this is what you're worried about? Yes. That means you're a kosher person. If you're not worried, you're not a kosher person. You're a selfish person, but not kosher. The sages explain that when it says that a when a debate, a dispute, is not for the sake of heaven, the Machzor Vitri says when people argue in order to exert control or to triumph over each other, the argument will not have any constructive outcome. And the Tiferet Israel says that even if only one party in a dispute has a selfish motive, nothing substantial will result. Only if there's a common goal shared by both parties, by both sides, can the controversy actually have a productive and enduring positive effect that Tiferet Israel says meaning that even if one side has the honor of Hashem in mind and wants to tell the truth as it is and fight for the emet but the other side takes it personal the other side instead of saying yeah you're right I'm wrong or yeah you're wrong I'm right whatever it is instead of that yeah but you're ugly okay I may be ugly but what about what I just said yeah, but you're stupid. Okay, I may be stupid. What about what I just said? It doesn't make a difference. Yeah, but who are you to say it? It doesn't make a difference. Hashem said, Parashat Balak, Hashem at Piaton. Hashem even used the donkey to deliver the truth. Stop taking it personal and just look at the message. Yeah, you're uh, new. You're Baal Tshuva. You're tall. You're short. You're Sephardic. You're Ashkenazi. You're... Forget, okay, let's say all of what you say is true. What about the message? Is the message itself also true? Is the message also true? 
Did Moshe Rabbeinu say what I just said? Am I repeating what he said? Or I just made it up? If I just made it up, then you should write an entire article and get all of Gdolei Ador to write Yaron Uven Cherem Chas Shalom. Why? He's creating a Torah. That's Yeshu. That's uh, Jesus. Machshimo Vezichro. Create a new Torah. Told people, no, no. Um, I'm not here to change it. I'm here to fulfill it. But then, yeah, you're allowed to violate Shabbat though. That's where the Gemara in Masichet Shabbat, I actually just saw this last night, it says that Rabban Gamliel and his sister, Ima, Ima Shalom, his sister was married to Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos, Tzadikit, Kodesh Kodeshim, mentioned several times in the Gemara. We also learned about modesty from her of men. Modesty of men, of how modest Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos was. But here in his Gemara Masechet Shabbat, it says that Ima Shalom and Rabban Gamliel, her brother, knew of a certain heretic, philosopher type, that was a judge. But he was actually a judge that was a crooked judge. And they wanted to expose him. How are we going to expose him? No one's going to believe us. Okay, so let's create a case. So they go to him as a brother and sister that are disputing over the inheritance of their parents that died. And she says, listen, in our Torah, it's uh, before, before the case starts, she gives the judge, she gives the judge a golden lamp. And she says, uh, you know, listen, in our Torah it says that uh, we should have, you know, the inheritance goes to the boys. If, there's, uh, if, there, if the parents have sons, the inheritance goes to the sons and nothing is given to the daughters. So what should I do? Should I get nothing? The judge that got a bribe from her already goes, no, no. Since, since your Moshe Rabbeinu has died and everything and the destruction of the temple, we don't follow the story. We have a different book. We find out through the commentary, what's this different book? New Testament. The New Testament. We don't listen to this Moshe Rabbeinu anymore. You're going to get your half. Just come back tomorrow, we'll finalize things. So the next day before the case starts, Rabban Gamliel gives him a fancy schmancy donkey. It's like giving a guy a, 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 a Bentley. Giving him a Ferrari as a bribe. He says, so here, so he says, oh, almost final. He goes, yeah, but I actually, what I wanted to tell you guys is that in our book, it doesn't say that our, your Torah is not relevant anymore. He actually said he's here to fulfill your Torah. Meaning he just changed his mind again. Yes. Yes, this is actually said in the Gemara. I saw it just last night, two nights ago. I was studying after the shoe a little bit. And 
You see, this is in Gemara. There's a censor, there's a censure that the, that the Catholic Church removed the names of the Christians in different parts of the Gemara. But if you understand and you know a few things, you can find it. And there's actually original Gemaras that have the real names and so on. But the point is, they actually mention the verse that's actually in the New Testament. It says, I'm not here to destroy it, I'm here to fulfill the law of Moses. And we all know that's all in the New Testament. So Rabban Gamliel and his sister Imar Shalom says, Ah, you see? See, yesterday there was light, meaning symbolizing the bribe they gave him yesterday with the golden lamp. But today he rode off with a donkey. My donkey kicked your light. So the audience understood the message. Ah, yesterday they gave him a bribe, and he had one opinion. Today he got another bribe, he had a different opinion. Why? The green don't have an instruction set. Their instruction set is whatever fits today. Whatever fits today. And that's Christianity, Rabotai. That's Catholicism. That's whatever is convenient. Now, for the goyim to make such a foolish mistake, they're putting their eternity on the line. But for a Jew to make the same mistake and pick and choose the laws that he feels like following is no less than stupid. Who are you to change the law? So when a person is really seeking the truth, he should disregard where the truth came from. If it came from me, a new Baal Tshuva, or it came from a famous rabbi, or it came from a small rabbi, or a big rabbi, or a donkey, it doesn't make a difference. Is it true? Is the intention true? So if one person takes the message the right way, then this could turn into a constructive debate that could help people do tshuva, that could help the name of Hashem become sanctified. If a person does not take it the right way, then it can turn into a big chilul Hashem, and it can actually hurt Am Yisrael. Now, the problem is, is that not everybody is capable to swallow their own pride. So really the only way that we could actually force ourselves to swallow our own pride is to understand the price of having pride. There's a price to have pride. On the reward side, on the reward side, in the Gemara Masechet Chulin, page 89, it says, The Gemara Masechet Chulin, page 89, says that anyone that keeps their mouth shut at a time of an argument. On them it is written in the book of Job that Hashem is using their merit that they stayed quiet at a time of argument for positive reason. Not for a negative reason because they just want to ignore the guy. For a positive reason. He wanted to fight for not for Shemayim. Against Shemayim, you... Sh- this is no good. Stay away from this. It says, your merit, that's what's holding the world. Because if you notice, you look at the pictures of outer space, nothing is holding earth in, in place. There's no like hand holding it. There's no pole holding it. It's standing on nothing. So the book of Job says, what is the world standing on? Hashem says, nothing. Ma. 
nothing. So the, so the Chachamim says, what is this ma, what is this nothing? This nothing is the merit of those that are quiet at a time of argument. Now, argument and debate are two different things. Argument is when someone wants to fight for a negative reason. Debate is supposed to be constructive. It's supposed to be constructive. Now, if the debate is for the right reason, it's for the sake of heaven, you're not allowed to stay quiet. But if the debate is not for the sake of heaven, and you're quiet, you have much merit. So first, we have to know that if we're quiet for the right reason, is a very, very big reward that we're getting. On the other hand, the opposite is true. If a person is quiet at a time, he's not allowed to be quiet. He's destroying the world. He's destroying the world by being quiet at a time he's not supposed to be quiet. Because Am Yisrael is yearning for answers, you have it and you're not sharing it, that's bringing destruction to the world. But everyone looks at themselves as if they're innocent. No, no, it's not my fault he drives on Shabbat. I didn't tell him to drive, so why is it my problem? Like I met this young kid. I couldn't believe this kid was considered a religious Jew. Young kid. He tells me, wait, so according to you, that's after a shoe. He goes, so according to you, the only way I'm able to make money in my life is if I do it the kosher way, right? Young, religious kid. I'm not talking about a kid just came out of the garbage pail. Young, religious kid, tzitzit, kippah, everything. It's like, so the only way that you, uh, I can make money is if it's the kosher way, right? So I'm a little dumbfounded, but I say, yeah, of course. Because, wow, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time to make money. I want to make quick money. I just, just want to make quick, quick money. I don't really care what happens to the person. I'm like, oh, so you're like Hitler. He goes, no, 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 no. Well, Hitler, really? I said, yeah, you just don't care. So you're telling me that you want to just sell something even if it's going to kill them? As long as you make some money? He goes, yeah, what's the problem? I didn't tell him to take it. I just use an extreme example to show him why he's Hitler. He agreed. That's what he actually had in mind. That's what he had in mind. He actually said, yeah, I was planning on selling something. I don't know if it's going to kill them or not. What do I care? I made the money. I didn't tell them to take it. I sold it. They wanted to buy it. What's the problem? Like, no one has taught this kid an inch of Musal his entire 15, 16 years of life. Not an inch of Musar to understand the very basic human requirement that you have to... It's not even a Jewish requirement only. It's a human requirement. You have to be somewhat conscious of the world around you and not so selfish that you care less if everybody dies as a result of your actions. We are so into the Avodazara of money that we forgot that there's people If I told you the story came at a time when I was secular and I was surrounded by secular people, none of you would be surprised. The sad news is that this was at a after a lecture in a religious community. So-called religious community. If they actually exist today. So the problem is, 
is that sometimes you're going to have people think that there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. They're religious. They keep Shabbat. They have a kippah and they have a tzitzit. So everything is good, right? A guy comes to a rabbi. He goes, for the rabbi, I think you should have me have uh, be chazan for the rabbi. I think Shami Chazan, last time I prayed, as soon as I prayed in, uh, in Amidah, I said, Morida uh, Geshem, you know, Hashem pours down, brings down the rain, immediately start raining. So maybe you should have me as the Chazan all the time. The rabbi knows this guy's a Mechalel Shabbat. He says, You? Yeah, Hashem made rain. He called it the flood. Flood of Noah on people like you. Unfortunately, this is just a joke. We don't have real rabbis like that anymore. But people need to understand the cost of being quiet. The cost of being quiet is very dear. Last night I gave you a few things from Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev. And there was a couple of other things we should add to it. Everyone that thinks that Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev was like Chas Shalom, like some of the Care Bear rabbis today that don't say a single word, should read his actual book and see what he actually says. In Lekutei Ma'aran, he first starts saying is that Mishemishtadel tamid lekerev bnei adam le'avodat Hashem itbarach tzarich lishmor et atzmo shelo yachazu bo haklipot ve'arash shel elu bnei adam says, anyone who does Kiruv, whether you're doing it as a public speaker or you're trying to help your community in a different way or you're a rabbi or you're not a rabbi, it doesn't make a difference. People that are constantly involved in Kiruv need to protect themselves. From who? He has to protect themselves so the klipot, the negative, negative traits, negative actions, negative aspects, some aspect obviously of Kabbalah issues in regards to the sins, that manipulate the behavior of, of certain people, that those things, those sinners do not affect you. Those klipot don't affect you. Yes, you're supposed to get them to do tshuva, but don't befriend them to the point where they come to your house every Shabbat. Don't befriend them to the point where you're going to the bar with them because you're trying to help them do tshuva. Don't host a Super Bowl party. That's not how we do kiruv. He says, the person that is doing Kiruv is called like an Echala Kodesh. He's like a vessel of holiness. He's a vessel of holiness that brings on himself things, and by naturally, if he's really a vessel of holiness, he is constantly looking for ways to connect further and further to the root. What's the root? So he has to protect himself. This is a, this is a holy thing. So how does he do Kiruv? He says, if he takes, if he says things from his heart, the truth, from his heart, not what they want to hear. 
The truth. What does Shem say? Yeah, it's going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to bother them. Yeah, she's wearing this. Yeah, he's wearing that. Yeah, he's going out with the Goya. Yeah, they have to get it. Yeah, it's going to hurt. But it's the truth. He says it from his heart. From the depth of his heart. Of this kosher person. He's a kosher person. This is going to go to their heart. And they're going to do tshuva. If it's coming from his heart, meaning, Mama, she's telling the truth, and he's not destroying it with his own opinion, it'll reach their heart, and they will come back to Hashem Barach. This was in Lekutei Maran, Nuntet, 59 Aleph. If you continue to Vav, Nuntet Vav, is another thing that Rabbi Nachman Breslev wants to tell us. Something that most people in Breslov today probably don't even know. Because according to many people that are fake Breslovers, they don't know that there is such a thing called Reshaim. Because any time that I mention Reshaim in my lectures, they immediately like start cringing. Like, whoa, who are we to say that there's wicked people in the world? It's not nice. You know, everyone's tzaddik. We're all the, the sons and daughters of Reshaim. How can you call them Reshaim? Okay, let's see what your rabbi says. Let's see what the Kodesh Kodeshim of Rabbi Nachman actually said himself. In the Kutem Aran, same one, Vav, 6, 59, 6. Veda, no. Sheesh kamareshaim sheasulekovam tachat kanfeavodato. There are some wicked people, there's some Rashaim, they're so wicked, you're not even allowed to actually get close to them to help them do kiyu, to help them do tshuva. They're so wicked, don't even help them. Your only job with them is to stay away from them. What? Not only are they Rashaim, Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev is telling us, not only are some people are Rashaim in the world, but some are such reshaim. It's like the Rambam says in Ilchot Tshuva, you're not even allowed to help them do Tshuva. Why? Because they bring down the person that is trying to help them do Tshuva. He's telling them, let's keep Shabbat. Why don't you come to my house? Guy says, you know what, let's go to the bar and talk about it. He says, yo, you know, let's let's go to Bikness. And he goes, Oh, you know what? Let's go to uh, to uh Starbucks first. Non kosher operation with a bunch of Jews that attended for some reason. One of my students asked me, Did uh, Starbucks uh, put their uh, tools in uh Mikve? I said no. He goes, So why come the rabbi goes there all the time? Not me. There's another rabbi. I said, I don't know. You have to ask him. Where do we see this, Rabbi Nachman says? We saw this with Moshe Rabbeinu himself, who did Kiruv with the Erev Rav, the Egyptians that were fake converts. He brought them, he brought them to, to join Am Yisrael, and in the book of Exodus 32, Hashem Itbarach says, Go down, meaning go down from Mount Sinai, go, go to your nation, who became despicable. Why does he say your nation, Moshe? Isn't it Hashem's nation? He goes, no, it's Moshe's nation, it's the Erev Rav that sinned. 
It's the Erev Rav, it's the fake converts that sin. I didn't tell you to do Kiruv with them. I didn't tell you to do Kiruv with the guys that are going to, uh, you know, missionaries. I didn't tell you to go make uh, the missionaries into Jews. I didn't tell you to do that. Ven korbo mishpat. There's no power in the world to actually bring them down. Some people are so wicked that they've become once they've gone to the point where they cause other people to sin, there's no power to destroy their wickedness. What does it mean? Does they can't do tshuva? Yes, they can, but on their own. You cannot help them. You are not allowed to help them. This causes a lot of destruction. If we continue, Rabbi Nachman Ibrahim continues in the Kutema Aran. On Samech, Samech Zain, Ukshosek Leorer Bne Adam, Utsarek Lishmo Atzmo, Mitalmidim Shenam Agunim. person that deals with teaching the public to wake them up, needs to preserve themselves from Talmidim, from students that are not fair. So he doesn't get affected by their wickedness. So he doesn't destroy himself and hurt himself. Our sages have said that a person is not allowed in Masechet Chulim, page 133, a person is not allowed to teach an unfair student. What's an unfair student? Instead of learning your Torah, he's looking for ways to manipulate it. He's looking to learn the Torah in order to manipulate it. There are different types of people that learn Torah. There's a certain type of person, ideally, he learns Torah because he wants to honor Hashem. That's the highest level, even without a reward. Then there's a, there's a person that learns Torah because he just simply wants a reward. He wants Hashem to give him Olam Abba, he wants money, he wants this, he wants that. And the Gemara says, this is Lolishma, but Makom Shlolishma, Balishma. Even though this is not for the sake of heaven, he's not learning for the sake of heaven. He's learning for the sake of a reward. He's learning for the sake of money. But still, even if someone starts that way, eventually he'll end up doing good and learning Torah also for the sake of heaven. But then there's such a student that wants to learn only to find the rabbi's mistakes. Only to find ways that he can manipulate the Torah by looking for the gray area constantly looking for the difficulties, looking for the machloket, looking for the debates, looking for the, the places where the rabbi may not be an expert. On him it is written in our Gemara, it was better for Hashem to suffocate him inside his mother's uterus than for him to come to the world and learn Torah in order to look for mistakes and manipulations. Such a person is not a Talmid Agun. He's not a fair student. You're not allowed to teach him. You're not allowed to do Kiruv with such a person. Yeah, but he's a Jew. Good. Let him be a Jew somewhere else. You're not allowed to put yourself at risk. 
doing Kiruv. What is this like, teaching such a person? The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 108 says, the mitzvah of tefillin is you're obligated to write tefillin on a beima, on a kosher animal. On a kosher animal. You can't take the skin of a, uh, of a lion and write tefillin on it, even though it's also leather. You're not allowed to use it. Why? Because there's a verse in the Torah that we learn, this alakha from, Leman Torah Hashem Bepicha. That your, your, the, the Torah of Hashem will be in your mouth. And the sages say from here we learn that just like the Torah is in your mouth, the actual animal that you're using also has to be permissible for you to eat. So to wear the tefillin. Now, Rabbi Nachman Breslov says that teaching a Talmud, teaching a Talmud that's not a kosher Talmud, He's not looking for the truth. He's looking for excuses. He's just using you as the way to get the excuses. This is like writing a Sefer Torah or a Tefillin on a unkosher animal. Why? Because in essence, when you teach Torah, you're engraving the Torah on his heart, on his neshama. Don't engrave on a non-kosher vessel. So even here, Rabbi Nachman bin Breslev says that not only are there Rishayim in the world, there are some people you are simply not even allowed to teach them because they're such unkosher people. Because if you teach a kosher person, Rabbi Nachman says in the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, page 99, it says, Hashem Yidbarach says, anyone that teaches the son of his friend, Torah, is like he created him. Such is the significance of helping somebody do tshuva. Such is the significance of teaching kosher Torah. But you have to be careful. Specifically, the people out there that don't know right or left sometimes, and they're just trying to gain fans and YouTube followers, so they try to do things that sound popular. They like, like to spend their time debating people. Debating Christians, debating heretics, debating atheists, and so on and so forth. No one ever told you that you're allowed to do it, first of all. And second of all, it's a very, very dangerous ground. Why would you do it? These are people that are looking for excuses. They're not looking to agree. This is not a debate for Shemaim. The two sides are debating to win. It's like two lawyers. No one cares what the truth is. Everyone cares to win. Such a debate between a Christian and a, and a, and a Jew is not for Shemaim. And anyone that's really looking for the truth, Baruch Hashem, there's plenty of truth out there. Why are you spending so much time doing it? And that's why I, I disagree with some of these people that are relatively decent people, in some cases amazing people, but they spend a lot of time debating. For what? What's the purpose? There's plenty, there's 20 million Jews in the world that are not even keeping Shabbat. Why don't you focus on them? instead of the heretics, instead of the Christians, instead of all the other people. Why don't you focus on them? And Rabbi Nachman Breslov says, there's actually a thing that you need to learn about this. In Torah Samech Dalet, he says the following, V'anachash, em elu achachamim le'ara, achokrim filosofia ve'apikor sut k'mo shekatuv, בספר ירמיה דלת חכמים אמה להרה ולהטיב לא ידעו. He says there's a snake, there's a snake in creation. Who's the snake today? 
Who's the snake? The snake was in Gan Eden. Who's the snake today? The snake today are the wise among the wicked. The philosophers, the atheists, the, 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 uh, the Darwins of the world. The, uh, what's that other guy that debated uh, Sachs? Dawkins of the world. The uh, the uh, Itzchak Shapiro of the world, Imachim of Zichro. The uh, all of those heretics, missionaries, the Brown, whatever his name is, Brown Imachimo, uh, Michael Brown. All of these missionaries and Apikosim and so on, they are the Nachash. They are the serpent. They are the snake. Why? They are looking for ways to create more heresy. And just like it's written in the book of Jeremiah, chapter four. Chachamim emalara, these wise among the wicked, even le'tiv le'adau, even if they try to do good with their wisdom, they simply can't. Such is their wickedness. Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev, not only acknowledging that they are wicked among the people, even inside a bet Knesset sometimes, but there are such in the world among the Jews and non-Jews that you're simply not allowed to help and you have to do everything you can to avoid them like you would avoid the Black Plague. This Rabotai is critical for every breast liver, every Hasid, every Jew, every person on earth needs to know this. Why? This is the truth. You cannot help everybody. You have to pick and choose. And now that we're in a time of Mashiach, there's not enough time. There's not enough time to spend time debating people and going back and forth. You got to spend. If he gets it within one lecture, good, continue. If he doesn't get it, we got to move on. I'm sorry, you didn't get it, I'm sorry. Here's another lecture, let me know if you get the next one. I'll send you as many lectures as you want, but I can't handhold you forever. There's not enough time. There's not enough time. Mashiach is around the corner. There's not enough time to spend three, four, five hours with you. There's not enough time. Oh no, can I have a private lesson? Yes, it's called the Shi'ul Torah. Every Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. No, can I have one-on-one? Yeah, one-on-one. You're sitting over here. I'm sitting over here. We learn one-on-one. Yeah, but there's other people there. So what do you care if they're there? Why, are they bothering you? Were you racist? Were you sexist? What's the matter? Why, they're Jews. What's the problem? What's the problem? What, what, why, why don't you want them there? What, are we dating? What do you want? Why does everybody want one-on-one? What, what are you going to get one-on-one? I'm speaking, you're learning, that's it. You have a question, you ask. Did I ever tell any of you guys no more questions? What's the problem? Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. The reality is, Rabotai... People need to understand there's not enough time. There's not enough time. There's simply not enough time to waste time on everybody. You have to pick the best. The best of the best. Sometimes I see people watching a show online. It gets me very excited. I see there's a new person. Never heard of him before. Never saw him before. He's excited. She's excited. They say all types of nice things about me. Compliments. He's this. He's that. Whatever. It's nice. Thank you very much. But the reality is, are you listening to what I say? And then I see them, you know, they watch a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five months, six months, and then disappear off the face of the earth. What happened? Korach invited you in. What happened? Where'd you go? Oh, five months I was saying things they liked. 
On the sixth month, they heard one thing they didn't like. So what happened to the fruit? So what I say, is it fake? Did I make it up? Is it my opinion? It's still Torah, right? So a person needs to know there's only one truth. There's not 500 truths. You cannot help everyone. If I see a person, he comes to the shurim, he sends letters, he sends emails, he stays in touch, and so on, he asks good questions, he's looking for the truth, he's doing something to actually live the truth, I'll do everything I can to help him. But to go after people and start chasing them and calling them and going after them, what's going on? There's simply not enough time. There's not enough time for me to do it, there's not enough time for anyone to do it. Why? There's too many many of us that need help. Too many of us, religious and non-religious, simply are living a lie, thinking it's the truth. And that's also one of the things that Rabbi Nachman says, actually, that I saw it today. That I saw it today. Here in Likutem Aran Samech Vav. He says, Upkidut akarot שמעוררים את בני האדם משנתם. כי יש בני אדם שישנים את ימיהם. Because there are some people that are sleeping their whole lives. What do you mean sleeping? How can they sleep? Spiritually sleeping. Spiritually sleeping. How could this be? ואף שנדמה לעולם שהם עובדים את השם ועוסקים בתורה ובתפילה. אף על פי כן... He says, it's actually in their imagination. It's in their imagination that they're serving Hashem Barach and they're dealing with Torah and prayer. But in reality, their service is not giving Hashem any comfort at all. Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev is saying that some of us are sleepwalking, thinking we're religious. Thinking we're religious. So here we have learned that it's not all fun and games all the time. It's not all fun and games all the time. We're almost done. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 55a. talks about something that I've mentioned to you guys in the past, but I'll add a chidush to it be'ezrat Hashem, that I had once, some time ago. The Gemara says that there was only one time in history that a good decree that was issued from Hashem Yitbarach's mouth was retracted. He initially said something good's going to happen, but he changed his mind. We learn in Parashat Balak that Balak says to, that Bilam says to Balak, he's not uh, a man that changes his mind. So to say such a thing that he changed his mind once, there has to be proof. So the Chachamim used the verses in the book of Ezekiel, chapter nine, verse four, and he says that originally Hashem Barach, when he destroyed the Bet Hamikdash, originally he was planning on saving. The religious people, the rabbis, the religious community. And he told the angel, go put the letter Taf, draw the letter Taf on each one of their neshamot. 
Go draw the letter Taf. Why? Because this will be symbolized. This will symbolize Tichye. This will symbolize live. So when the Malach HaMavit comes, he doesn't touch them. Because I have a signature on them. Taf symbolizing Tichye. Let them live. Because they're religious. They keep Shabbat. That was the original decree. But then the Chachamim says, if you look at the continuing verse, you see that something happened. He killed everybody. How could this be? Because the Malach HaMavet came to Hashem, and Hashem says, what is this? What is this symbol, this taf? He says, to let them live. He goes, why are they going to live? Why are you going to let these rabbis live? Why are you going to let the religious community live? He says, because they kept the Torah. They kept the Torah of me, Aleph Atah, from A to Z they kept it. What's the problem? He says, they did not keep your mitzvah. Of ocheach tochiach etamitecha. They did not keep, they kept Shabbat, they kept mitzvot, but they didn't keep the mitzvah of rebuking the people that didn't keep mitzvot. They didn't keep that mitzvah, one mitzvah, everything else they kept. One mitzvah they didn't keep, they didn't tell the Mechalel Shabbat, stop violating Shabbat, stop driving on Shabbat. Stop going out with the non-Jew. Stop eating non-kosher. Stop being non-kosher. They never said it. And they knew, but they never said it. One mitzvah, the 613. There's one mitzvah they didn't do. Hashem Barach says, you're right. Now that same taf also means tamut. Die. Kill them first. Why he killed him first? The Gemara continues. The reason why Resh Lakish teaches us is the conclusion of this is that we learn from Rabbi Hanina that the signature of the Holy One, blessed is He, is Emet, truth. The fact that they filled up the whole Torah, good for them, but they missed one of my mitzvot, the one that was going to save the rest of the nation, it's all worthless. How can you come to my house saying, I love you, Abba, while you let your brother die in the, in the woods? What kind of love is that for Abba? What kind of love is that for Hashem? So now you see that this taf originally meant to, uh, meant to live. But then Hashem says, after what the Satan actually brought the case against us, he's right, it actually now means tamut, also means tough. Why? Because Hashem is emet. And the chidush that I had, Baruch Hashem Ishtabach, is that, why did all of this happen? Because we did not fulfill the mitzvah of Ocheach Tochiach. Also tough. You must rebuke your nation. You didn't fulfill the rebuke. That's also a tough. That's also a tough. That's what only decree that was positive in the history of mankind that Hashem reversed and turned it to a negative. Such is the important, the importance of telling our brothers and sisters the truth. It's not something you can keep to yourself. You have no permission to keep it to yourself. You must tell them the truth, whether. You are a regular Jew or a rabbi or whoever. You have to tell them. If you can't tell them directly, then find a way to do it indirectly. But you have to do something. Give them a CD. Give them a link to a lecture. Bring them to a lecture. 
You have to do something. You cannot be one of these people that lives 120 years saying they love Hashem while his children are dying on your front door. Titen emet Yaakov. Hashem says, give the truth to Yaakov. Who's Yaakov? Yaakov is also known as Israel. Yaakov is another name for Am Israel. And this is one of the most important things that every single Jew needs to understand, needs to understand it so well that it becomes engraved in their heart, engraved in their mind. You cannot keep the truth yourself. You're not allowed to. So if this is going to cause a debate in your keilah, a conflict in your keilah, good. Why? It's for Shemaim. You're trying to save the keilah. If you're saying the truth, it's going to cause conflict, good. Why? You're trying to save the keilah. There's an enormous amount of power in unity. But what kind of unity? Unity in serving Hashem, not unity in making sins. So even though somebody would want to use the case of, look, when there was no unity and there were sins, then Hashem destroyed the world in the generation of the flood. But then, if you look at the generation of the Tower of Babel, there was unity. So Hashem didn't destroy the world. Yes, but He still destroyed them. The sin, He still destroyed them. You can't use that argument, sorry. The reality is, there's no such thing as unity if there's sins. Unity, Avat Israel, loving Am Israel comes from serving Hashem. Serving Hashem together, finding a way to do it better, doing tshuva together better. That's serving Hashem. Everything else is just a figment of our imagination. And all of the problems that started with Am Israel and all of the debates, the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, page 88, says, only happened after the generation of Hillel and Shammai with their students. Why with their students? Because their students didn't spend enough time studying with their rabbis, with their teachers. And therefore they started to lack internship. Which resulted in increased controversy. Meaning they didn't have what we talked about last week or two weeks ago about shimush. You don't only learn halakha from the rabbi. You learn also how to behave. You learn ideology. You learn the philosophy of Judaism, the truth how to implement it. All of the problems that we had always started with the rabbis and can end with the rabbis. But each and every single one of us can be a rabbi. How? Be a deliverer of the truth. You don't have to say it yourself. You can just give a CD. You can just give a lecture. You can just send a text message. You can just simply be the delivery person. But in Shemaim, you're a big rabbi. How do I know? There's Rabbi Dodia. Rabbi Dodia, the Gemara says there was no sin. There was no sin he didn't make. There's no sin he didn't make. Gambling, prostitution, uh, wasting seed, chilul shab, everything he made. Every sin he made, Gemara says. Wicked. One day, one of the prostitutes. Tells him, you're avud, you're a lost cause. 
That's why I lost cause. He goes, you? There's no sin you didn't make. Your God's never going to take you back. But she was serious. It came from her heart. She actually cared apparently. He took it to his heart. Why? Because the prostitute had said something then from her heart. He took it to his heart. He started crying to heaven. He said, heaven, Shemaim, please help me do tshuva. The, the, the Shemaim cried there and says, I'm sorry, you made so many sins, we have to do tshuva. Because your, your actions affect the heavens. Your actions affect nature. Your actions affect the animals. Your actions affect everything. That's why Hashem had to destroy even the animals in the generation of Noah. Because the actions of man led to sins of the animals. The Midrash says there were so many sins that not only were the animals mating with the wrong breed, with the wrong uh, wrong animal, wrong species, but the creation turned upside down. The sheep started chasing the lion to kill him. The sheep tried killing the lion. The lion started getting scared of the sheep. Why? Because people were wasting seed. Because people were actually uh, uh, stealing People made laws, took law into their own hand. When you're going against Torah, you're going against nature. So that's why the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin says we need Shimush, we need to stay close to the real leaders. Close to the real leaders because our problems began when we started making our own rules. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's make football parties. Wait, did, did, what, did Chafetz Chaim teach you that? The Ben Ishchai? Uh, the, 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 who, who taught you? Moshe Rabbeinu? Rabbi Akiva? The, which one of the Tosfot? Bale Tosfot. There's 2,000 of them. Maybe one of them had Super Bowl parties? Who had Super Bowl parties? Who had Halloween parties? Who had, uh, Christmas parties? Who, who? Which Chacham in, in, in the history of Am Israel ever allowed such Toyevat Hashem to enter a Bet Knesset? Who? Who allowed it? Who? We have to go and stay close to our rabbis that are real. There's plenty of fake ones. There's plenty of fake ones. But the point is, Rabbi that each one of us, each one of us can become a good one. Everyone, everyone knows that throughout history there's always been a kechazid, there's always been a bad assistant. Sometimes the good rabbis have bad assistants. Sometimes even if you're trying to reach the big rabbi, you can't have access. You try to reach, there's a good cause. You try to reach, get a big rabbi to help you with it. And his assistant says, no, he's not available. Even though the, the rabbi is available. Why? Because the assistant sometimes is a rasha. This, is not a, this is, didn't just begin now. This has already been around since the beginning of time. Elisha Navi. Elisha Navi, that was the prophet after Eliyahu Navi. At Gechazi. Gechazi Rasha Merusha, the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin says he has no share of the world to come. When Elisha Navi healed one of the kings, the non Jewish kings, the non Jewish king wanted to convert, wanted to convert to Judaism because he was so impressed with the power of Torah. He wanted to give Elisha Navi a huge gift. Elisha Navi says, we don't do this for money. We don't do this for money. I didn't heal you for money. I just wanted to show you the power of Hashem. I wanted to show you the power of our Torah. I don't need your money. Yeah, but you're allowed to take money. 
doesn't make a difference. Allowed, not allowed. Not interested in your money. The miracle has nothing to do with money. The king was so impressed, he says, I want to be like you. With the hat and the beard and the coat, and I want to be like you, and I'll convert my entire country like you. Okay. After he left, Gehazi, his assistant, his gabai, was eating his heart. He says, you could have collected a billion dollars right now. You wouldn't have asked, you wouldn't have said nothing. He gave you a blank check. He couldn't deal with it. He says, one second, sir. He went back to the king. He goes, hey, your highness, uh, yeah, you know, my, uh, my, uh, the prophet is very humble. He's very humble. So he's not going to accept the payment directly, but he needs a few things. He needs a few things. The Torah says, the king said, no problem. Here, take what you want. He gave him what he wanted. But at that moment, his passion and excitement to convert to Judaism died. Why? He says, maybe it was for money. So I'll just be a righteous Noahide then. And the Gmaran Masechet Sanhedrin says, he not only destroyed his neshama from becoming a Jew, he destroyed his entire nation of becoming Jews. He destroyed millions of people from becoming Jews. Billions of mitzvot for eternity. For that, for destroying that, because you want a few bucks, Gechazi has no share of the world to come. He's in Gehenom and he will never leave. Unfortunately, there are many Gehazis. He's not the first or the last. So if you're looking sometimes for help and there's a middleman, don't give up just because you didn't get to it. When we were trying to fight this whole issue with Christianity, when uh, the, uh, the missionary was, supposed, was invited to Boca Raton Synagogue, we tried literally to get in touch with every single big rabbi in the world. Name them, we tried contacting them. Unfortunately, in many cases, Gehazi stopped us. In many cases, we never got to talk to the rabbi, but we spoke to Gehazi. Gehazi we spoke to many times. And Gehazi did not let us in many times. But, because the machloket, the dispute, was for Shem Shamaim, it endured. And in the end, the Goy missionary canceled the event. You understand? Baruch Hashem. So that's what we have to understand. If you're fighting for Shemaim, you're going to win. You already won. But if you're fighting for yourself, we have a different shiur for you. Any questions? Same price. Kid. He got cold after three hours. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just forgot that you made the tea. I'm just kidding. No, chas v'shalom. I'm just kidding. Chas v'shalom. I'm just kidding. He made it. He got blessed three hours ago. I forgot about it. He's so excited about the tea. I just wanted to make a joke. See, I told you. My jokes are no good. Chas v'shalom. I may be embarrassed. No, go ahead. What is your question? See, shouldn't, no jokes. No more jokes, guys. Jokes are off for another year. No jokes. No jokes. No, go ahead. Yeah? Okay. 
Same thing with Amalek. Thank you. Scare me to vote. Exactly. Second one. If there's unity, obviously it could always uh, exist, even among the Goyim. But unity that's not for Shem Shamayim will not endure in the end. One of the things that uh, I give you as an example, the Tzemach Tzedek Lubavitch, I believe it was, um, at the time of Napoleon, there was a, Napoleon was nearly, nearly there, nearly conquered the entire world. All he had left was Russia. Now, the religious Jews were very concerned. And the reason why is because they didn't know whether they wanted Napoleon to win or not. So, the Temach Tzedek Lubavit says... From Chabad, the original tzaddikim, he says, it's better that the Russians win. It's better that the Russians win. So the Talmudim said, Kvodarav, excuse me, Kvodarav, uh, the Russians hate us. They're going to kill us. Why would you want them to win? He says, if the Russians win, Yes, they're going to persecute us. There's going to be a lot of problems. But we'll stay Jews. If Napoleon wins, he's pretending like he likes us. So what we're going to do, we're going to start marrying his women. We're going to start marrying his daughters. Our boys will marry his daughters. Our girls will marry his sons. There will be no more Amisrael. That peace is not a good peace. So this was a debate. This was a... Not everybody agreed with him. But you know how he was proven right? He actually sent a spy, a mole, to go and work for Napoleon and report everything that was happening in the army of Napoleon to the Russians. How do we know this was what Hashem wanted? Because it endured in the end. One time Napoleon found out that somebody is spying on him. There's somebody within his upper levels, his generals, his commanders, his chiefs, that is reporting something to the Russians. Because every move he makes, they're there. It's not possible. So, he surprised all of, the, uh, all of the generals, all of the people that were chiefs that were under him. And he came up to them and he knew how to reach people. And he came up to each person's face. They had a circle. And he screamed at them and he says, Are you the one that, are, that is spying? And he put his hand on their heart, on their chest. Each one, their heart started beating from fear, and he'd kill him on the spot. 
First one, dead. Second one, dead. Third one, dead. Now, they're not spies, really, or maybe they were, who knows? But the point is, the real spy is the Jew, the Chabadnik. He comes up to him, spying, nothing. It's as comfortable as a sleeping baby. When he told the story, he says, how? How did you endure? How did you endure? How did you endure when you were asked on the spot, are you a spy? You know you're the spy. How did you endure? He says, because my Rebbe told me that it's for Shemaim. And I believe my Rebbe. My Rebbe told me it's for Shemaim. My Rebbe told me this is for heaven, this is for the sake of Am Yisrael. And there's no way to lose if I do it for Am Yisrael. There's no way to lose if I do it for Hashem Barach. What do I need to be worried about? This is also one of the things that we've learned a little bit, we touched a little bit on in the past, that Bezal Hashem at some point will talk more about. It's about emunat tzadikim, having faith in the tzadikim. The Jews obligate to have emunah in the chachamim, in the tzadikim, because they're the ones that are going to be the vessel that's going to give him the truth. Once he found one, if they still exist in the world and are accessible to him, then he needs to do everything he possibly can to stay as close as possible and to take their word for it. And not necessarily waste too much time and too much effort trying to find different opinions just because he didn't like his opinion. There's actually a very uh, famous story of two families where uh, one family has the husband has financial problems. The other family has a husband that has health problems. Now, the one that has the health problems, he believes in the Chachamim. He says, whatever the Chacham says, it's like God said it. So I'm going to go to one of the Chachamim. He went to the Rebbe Mirujin. The Rebbe Mirujin. Rabbi Israel Friedman. Mirujin. I'm going to go on health problems. Go check it out. See what happens. Wife says, why? What is he going to do? You have health problems. Just a rabbi. Is he a doctor? Because a Torah tells us to believe in the Chachamim. I'm sure he has something to say that can help me save my life. Okay. The other one that had financial problems didn't believe in the Chachamim. In fact, he was against it. That was nonsense. But his wife did. His wife believed in the Chachamim. He said, honey, listen, the, the parits, the, the, the head, the mayor, said if you don't pay him back the loan by Friday, he's going to kill you. You have no other choice. You have to go get help. Go to the Chacham. Go to the Rebbe Mirujin. He goes, what's the Rebbe going to do for me? He said, give me the money. What are you going to do for me? I don't know. Hashem said, when we need help, we go to the Chachamim. Go to the Chacham. 
What is he going to do? He has financial problems, so his wife doesn't listen to him anyway. So now he has to go to the Chacham. So he goes to the Chacham, and the other one goes to the Chacham. The Rebbe Mirujin wasn't able to see him that day. But they asked, they said, listen, we came from far away, please help us. So the Gabai, or the Tzaddik, he went to the Rebbe, he says, listen, this one's sick, this one is uh, financial problems. So the Rebbe Mirujin wrote him a little message, this is what you should do. For the sick person, he said, there's a cure for you. Take leeches, take leeches, and put them all over your body, and they'll suck out the disease from you. That was a medicine, apparently, that would work. They'll suck out the blood from you. They'll suck out the disease from you. And for the guy with the financial problem, he says, Don't worry. Yeshuat Hashem Don't worry. The salvation of Hashem is going to come to you before the blink of an eye. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. The, the, the Gabai made a mistake. He switched the messages. Made a mistake. Miss Kamen is not, is not a Russian. You made a mistake. You made a mistake. He gives the guy with the financial problems the cure, the, the, the leeches. He gives the guy with the uh, with the disease, oh, just tell him everything's going to be okay. No cure. So now the uh, the guy with the financial problems who doesn't believe in the Chachamim looks at this and he gets angry. Walik, well, what anger he has. Now he has everything to say. He says he already didn't like the Chachamim as it is. Now he has a reason to. Why? I'm telling him I have financial problems. He's telling me to go and put leeches and suck my blood out. It's not enough that the Paris wants to kill me. Now he wants to take my blood out too and torture me beforehand. What kind of chacham do you have? He throws the note at his wife. He says, what this is a chachamim? This is what, you, this is what your Torah is. She says, you better do what he says. If he wrote it to you, you better do what he says. I'll, I'll do something. Everybody's scared of their wife. What is he going to do the poor guy? The police going to kill him in a few days anyway. What is he going to do? He listens to his wife. His wife goes, collects all of the leeches she could possibly find, and she puts it everywhere, all over his body. Miskin, poor guy. Blood everywhere, swelling everywhere. There's blood coming out of his forehead, out of his head, out of his arms, out of his legs, out of his feet, out of it, everywhere. He has blood. Hashem Yirachem. They really, mamas, literally sucked the blood out of him. Now, Friday comes, the Parit sends his people, the mayor sends his people, no, come. They see this guy half dead. Blood everywhere. They don't know what happened. Says, listen, I don't care, blood, no blood, you have to pay the money. I can't move. Okay, we'll take the bed. They took him in his bed to the mayor's office. As Hashem would have it, the mayor was having lunch with his wife. His wife sees this poor guy coming, bleeding everywhere. The bed is full of blood. And the workers, the employees of her husband, are bringing this guy. She says, Johan. The, the, the mayor's name, Johan. Johan, this is what you do. This is what you do to people. Look what you did to this poor guy. Me scared. What did you do to him? 
Poor guy. What? Why? Why? He owes you money. That's why you do this to him. You know probably what he did. He probably went to go look for money for you, and they probably sh- they probably beat him up in the woods. They probably took all of his money. What is he going to do? How's he going to work? How's he going to survive? How could you do this to people, Johan? What kind of husband are you? What kind of man are you? She starts giving out a husband on his head. She starts hitting him and yelling at him. What kind of husband are you? A must. Eliyahu and Nabi went into her or something. She became the advocate for this little guy who didn't even believe in the Chachamim. So Johan, we scan Johan for the mayor. I just want my money. I don't want to beat up anybody. But oh, okay, you know, what do you want me to do, honey? How much he owes you? Uh, some money. Forgive the whole debt. Okay, okay, forgive it, forgive. No, but what now? He can't work. We scan his blood everywhere. He probably can't work for six months, a year, two years, five years. You have to give him money. You have to give, he has kids probably, as a wife, he has kids, you have to give money. You have to pay his salary every month for the next five years. Okay, okay, honey, whatever you want. The guy goes home, bleeding, but smiling. <laughs> bleeding, but smiling. Now, he doesn't know, how could this be? So he says, ah, what could I do? His wife says, now you have to go to the Rabbi Mirujin and ask for forgiveness. Beg for forgiveness. Beg him for forgiveness. He goes to the Rabbi Mirujin, who now is healthy, and he sees the Rebbe, he says, Kvodarav, I'm sorry, I didn't believe in you, I didn't believe in what you said, I thought you made a mistake, but apparently Hashem gave you the real cure that didn't make any sense. He goes, what cure? Didn't you have financial problems? He says, yes, Kvodarav, and you told me to put the leeches on me. No. He goes, no, no, that's not what I told you. I told you that everything's going to be fine. He goes, so how do you explain it? He says, it's because your wife... Your wife has emunat chachamim and Hashem changed nature just to satisfy your wife. And you will see that the other guy that was supposed to use the cure, watch, he's going to come soon and you're going to see he's cured. Without the leeches, he's cured. And that's, a, that's what happened. The guy showed up, cured. How? No leeches, no nothing. Hashem runs the world. Hashem runs the world. That's emunat chachamim. It's important to have emunat chachamim. If you find one, you have to have emunat chachamim. It's Hashem runs the world in a certain way, in a certain way, because He wants you to understand that if you find a kosher person, a real chacham, I'm going to use him as a vessel to tell you the truth. But if your chacham is not really a chacham, he knows a lot of books, but he's also playing football with you. He knows a lot of books, but he's watching football with you. He's having uh, 4th of July parties with you. He's having a few drinks with you. He's your friend more than your rabbi. Look elsewhere. Look elsewhere, because you need a chacham in your life. You need somebody in your life that's going to help you. Help you understand the Dvar Hashem. Help you understand the words of Hashem. So, Hashem wants us to have unity. He wants us to have achdut. He wants us to have unity. He wants us to have avat Israel. He wants us to also have debates. All for the sake of the same unity, for the same avat Hashem. Why? Because that's the point. That's the point. It's to get closer and closer to Hashem, to sanctify His name. If you're doing it all for heaven, you'll endure. You'll succeed. You 
will be like Hillel and Shammai and not like the students. That's why here it says, what is a dispute that's for heaven? The dispute between Hillel and Shammai. It doesn't say the dispute between Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai. It says Hillel and Shammai. Because Hillel and Shammai, their dispute was for heaven. They looked for the truth. Their students, not always. Same thing Rav says also on a machloket that's not for Shamayim. A machloket that's not for Shamayim, he says, is the machloket of Korach and his entire company. Why doesn't it say that it's Korach and Moshe? The dispute was really between Korach and Moshe. How come it only says Korach and his company? Korach Ba'adato. How come it doesn't mention Moshe? It's because Moshe was only for Shamayim. He wasn't even debating him. There's nothing to debate. The guy's a fool. He's going against Hashem. What's there to debate? So Korach was fighting himself. Him and his people were fighting themselves. And that's why it didn't endure. It wasn't for heaven. So Bezat Hashem, this will teach us a little bit of Musar Eskel, a little bit of Musar to teach us how to advance our lives in such a way that we have Hashem in mind at all times, even if it's during a debate. Even if it's during a debate that's not always comfortable, not always convenient, and not always ideal, and know that this too is also a tool to sanctify Hashem's name. It's also a tool to sanctify Hashem's name. If it's done the right way. Bezad Hashem will have more shiurim next week on, uh, I believe, Sunday, with the shiur in Hollywood, and then uh, Aventura, and then also another place in Miami, Bezad Hashem. Bauch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'Amen.